Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? These are the words of the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, as well as to you and I, when he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts right now through your spirit, teach us, guide us, help us, and draw us to you. May you be glorified through our worship, through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to begin a study of Ephesians called Ephesians, Our Identity and purpose, our identity and purpose. I'll be moving around throughout the book in the weeks to come, but today we're in chapter four, and the title of today's message is The Holy Spirit and You. I know that may not be a very snappy title, but uh, it's a great identifier of what Paul is trying to say to us in this passage, The Holy Spirit and You. According to a radio report, a middle school in Oregon faced a unique problem one year. A number of the junior high girls were going into the girls' restroom and they were putting on lipstick as their first experience with wearing makeup in public. And so they would rush into the bathroom and huddle together and put on their lipstick. And one of the little traditions they developed quickly was uh, with all that lipstick on, they would kiss the mirror in the bathroom to kind of leave their mark that they were there in the bathroom. And so the problem was at the end of the day, the custodian would come into the bathroom and the mirror is completely covered with all this lipstick and that lipstick was not easy to clean off of there. So he went and complained to the principal and the principal called together all the girls that they thought might be doing that and they huddled them all into, packed them all into that girl's restroom and the principal and the custodian was there and the principal said to the girls, girls, I don't think you realize how difficult it is to get this lipstick off that has to be cleaned up every day because you put your lips on that mirror. So to show you how difficult it is, the janitor is going to clean it while you watch. At that point, she motioned to the janitor. The janitor took a long bristled brush and went over to one of the commodes, dipped that into the commode, and then went over to the mirror and wiped down the mirror, wiping off all the lipstick. <laughs> Thus solved the problem of the lipstick on the mirrors in the bathroom. <laughs> Predicament solved. When Paul wrote the church in Ephesus, he was facing an interesting predicament himself that required an innovative solution. So he made a powerful plea to them, one that they had not heard before. He asked them not to grieve the Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 30, Paul tells you and I not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So, of course, that begs the question, the Holy Spirit can grieve? This is a, a, a fascinating concept to me because you and I identify with God the Father because of the word Father. We have a Father, an earthly Father, and so we, we see a relationship connection, a correlation there between that. We can connect with that. 
We understand and can connect to the concept of Jesus as the son because many of us are sons or we have sons or we know what a son is or what that means. And so there is a connection there. But the Holy Spirit, that's a little tougher. Is the spirit a him or an it? I hear that question sometimes because we don't really know how to connect with the Holy Spirit. Now, the irony of that is that when we accept Christ as our Savior and our Lord and we surrender to his lordship, surrender our lives to him, we become born again. And as born again believers, it's not the Father that comes to live in us. It's not the Son. It's the Holy Spirit. So our connection to God, because of the blood of Christ on the cross, is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us and fulfills a, a particular function in our life and it is through the Holy Spirit that we are able to enter the throne room of God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so when we talk about or read about the Holy Spirit grieving, well, that's interesting. Is that, how is that a function of a Holy Spirit? This word to grieve means to make sorrowful or to affect with sadness or to weep. Now we get that with Jesus. More than one time in the New Testament, we see Jesus weeping, crying out of compassion. So we, we can connect with that, but the Holy Spirit grieving or weeping. I want to ask you a question. This is a rhetorical question, so don't raise your hand and don't answer it. When you became a teenager or even after a adulthood, have you ever done anything or said anything that made your mother cry? When you became a teenager or even in adulthood, did you ever do anything or say anything that made your mother cry? Grieved your mom. Now, I have three children and I think about them in their life. And if I think about what would grieve me most, what would cause me the most pain as a parent, is if my children, all three of whom are born again Christians, if when they grew to adulthood or as they were growing to adulthood, they came to a point in their life that they would renounce their faith or abandon their faith in Christ, that would cause me great grief. Second to that would be if they chose to marry someone who had no faith at all. That would cause me to grieve. And as I think about that, the reason it would hurt me so bad is because I know that God made them for a particular purpose and a particular path in life. And that path is found in Jesus Christ in him alone. And anything else, any path other than that is going to be a path filled with pain and destruction. And I don't want that for them as a parent. And neither do you parents want that for your children. There are things that our children do and things that we do that can grieve our parents. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. What causes the Holy Spirit to grieve? That's, that's the question. first question. Is the Holy Spirit can the Holy Spirit actually grieve? Um, I think the first thing that we need to think about is what does the Holy Spirit do anyway? Maybe that's the first question we should ask if you don't know the function of the Holy Spirit in our life. There are four brief functions, and I'll give them very, to you very quickly. The number one, the Holy Spirit is a teacher. Is a teacher, in fact, in the Bible, we, we see the word teacher 
or counsel. He counsels. He's a counselor. And he reminds us. I find that interesting as well. And I'm going to show you several verses that talk about a description of the Holy Spirit. All of them come from John chapter 14, 15, or 16. This is the final discourse in the life of Christ on the final day of his life before he is arrested later that Thursday. And he will, within 24 hours of this, be on the cross dying and then be removed off the cross after he dies and put in the tomb. These are among his final words. He begins to talk about the Holy Spirit in some depth. In John chapter 14, verse 26, he says this, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. A couple of things I want you to note there. The first is, it says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So who's doing the sending? God the Father. Now, keep that in mind. I'll get back to that in just a minute. But he first calls the Holy Spirit the Counselor, the one who counsels. Secondly, he says, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So we understand the ideal of counselor and teacher, just like our teachers in school, whether it was in high school or college as a professor, their function, their purpose is to teach you things you didn't know. And there are things that you and I can only learn through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. No institution, no book, no guide will give you that. It is only from the Holy Spirit. You can't go down to the bookstore or go to the city library and find out the things that the Holy Spirit wants to teach you. There are some things in life that only come and are only taught through the Holy Spirit. But also, interestingly, it says, will teach you all things and will what? Will remind you of everything I've said to you. I, I was sharing on Easter Sunday morning about the ladies going to the tomb and they saw the angels there. Uh, there was an angel sitting on the, the, the stone. And uh, the angel said, Don't you remember? He, he, they said, He's not here. You know, He's resurrected, He's risen. And they said, Don't you remember? He told you that He was going to die and in three days come back to, to life. And then it says the, the ladies then remembered that Jesus had said that. And I told you, I was astounded. How could they forget that? I mean, there's some things you just don't forget. But they forgot that. And then they had that eureka moment when the angel reminded them, oh, yeah, 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 I remember the death and resurrection now. Well, the Holy Spirit does that for you and I. The Holy Spirit reminds us of things that we need to know at the time and moment that we need them. When I was a little boy, I memorized Bible verses in junior high, excuse me, in junior high, in, in training union at church. We had training union. That's kind of a predates Awanas. Uh, that's what old people did before Awanas, uh, go to training union when they were kids. And, and there I learned and memorized scripture after scripture after scripture and what's interesting about all of that scripture that I learned as a little boy, it was all in King James English because that's the only Bible we had. I'm that old. <laughs> it's the only Bible we had. Then an IV came out and the whole world went crazy. So, uh, but, but 
what's interesting is all of these decades and decades and decades later, something will happen in my life and the Holy Spirit will send a verse back that I had forgotten all about. And I know it's the Holy Spirit guiding me because I remember it in King James English. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So the Holy Spirit reminds us of things. Secondly, the Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit teaches, counsels, and reminds us. Secondly, the Holy Spirit testifies. This is the next chapter in John chapter 15. The same discourse, uh, Jesus says this. When the counselor comes, the same title, whom I will send to you from the Father. Well, isn't that interesting? He's already said that the Father will send him in the name of Jesus. And here he says, I will send you from the Father. So the Holy Spirit is being sent by the Father and by the Son. They are two, and yet they are one. Because God is three, and God is one. One God. And so he says in a synonymous way, I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And let me tell you what, what, he's, what I think he's saying here. What I think he's clearly saying here. Every time you share your faith in Jesus Christ, it is the Holy Spirit living and residing in you who is speaking through you. You don't have to wonder or worry, what on earth am I going to say? God will tell you what to say. The Holy Spirit will infill you and empower you because he's the one that's doing the testifying, not you. You're just the vessel. You're just the vocal cords. The Holy Spirit will use you to testify. It's one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people don't realize that. The Holy Spirit testifies through us. Number three, the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts. The next chapter, John chapter 16, verse 8. Again, the same discourse. Jesus says, when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. That is, every time you feel convicted of what you did wrong, it is the Holy Spirit that guides you and instructs you that it was wrong. It wasn't the Constitution. It wasn't anywhere in our laws. It wasn't a police officer, although they may tell you. <laughs> if you're really convicted, though, it is the Holy Spirit that's telling you that was wrong. In fact, there are things that you can do and say that this world thinks is just fine. It's perfectly legal. It's perfectly okay. But you know it's not right because the Holy Spirit has convicted you that it is not right. So the Holy Spirit convicts. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin for the purpose of drawing us to faith in Jesus Christ. Number four, and lastly... The Holy Spirit is present with us permanently. The Holy Spirit infills and indwells us. We believe the Bible teaches that at the moment you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, because in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit first came upon people, there was a period of time where the disciples were involved on occasion of leading the Holy people to receive the Holy Spirit. But after the book of Acts, what we see in the world of Christendom, after people have learned that there is a Holy Spirit, God is God is Father, Son, and Spirit, that at the point of surrender in our life, when we truly surrender ourselves to, 
to Christ, repent of our sins, and we believe in faith in the resurrection of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins, that at that moment, God redeems us, saves us, and infills us with the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a spiritual immaturity on our part that we may not really get all of that. My three children are all body, mind, and spirit. They, you, they, and you, and I have an eternal spirit living in us. We are physical, but we are also spiritual. I know that because the Bible tells us. Now, when my children were born and they were little babies, they were ever bit as much physical and spiritual then. They had a body and a spirit even as infants. But they didn't know that. It's a lifelong endeavor to, for us to come to this terms and come to this, this reality, that, this understanding that we are actually not just physical, we are also spiritual. We have a spirit. This word spiritual, by the way, oh, I have to be careful about that because it makes me mad. I'll get to anger in just a minute. But it makes me mad because people say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I don't believe in God, but I'm a spiritual person. Yeah, well, <laughs> where do you think that spirit came from? Good grief. You cannot ha be spiritual if you have no spirit. And if you have a spirit, where'd that spirit come from? Okay, enough of that. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you. What's the word? Forever. That means he don't come and go. The spirit doesn't enter into you until you do something stupid. And then out he goes. And then later, if you repent or you do all these good things, then here he'll come back again. It doesn't work that way. It did in the Old Testament. Do you remember Samson? Every time Samson received strength from God, every time he was about to perform a miracle or God performed a miracle through him, it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. So the spirit of God came upon Samson and then once the miracle was done, the spirit of God departed, but not so for you and me. Because of the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit enters into us and stays there forever. I don't have to worry this morning. Do I have a connection with God or do I not? Because I already know the spirit of the living God is alive in me. By the grace of God through the blood of Christ is with us permanently. I saw an interesting request on an Azel public page this week on social media. Somebody was dealing with a very serious problem in their life and they were asking in, the, in, the, in this social media site, uh, if there was a spirit-filled church here in Azel so that some of the members of the church could come and put hands on them and pray over them. And I was intrigued by that. On the one hand, I was impressed that this individual, I don't even know who they are. I don't even remember. I don't, I don't even remember if it's a man or a woman at making the request, but this individual, whoever they are, they recognized that there was a problem in their life for which the solution would, would be a spiritual solution. They saw a need. They recognized there is power in the Spirit of God, and there is power. The second thing I noticed, however, is that obviously they have no connection with any church in Azel. Otherwise, they would just go to their church and ask to be prayed for. 
Many times in our, our past, in our history, many times we have had requests from people that are, they have cancer or they have a terrible need in their life or it's a relationship issue or whatever it is, and they'll make the request, will you guys pray for me? Many times down at the front, we've had the deacons surround someone, put their hands on them and pray for them. It's nothing magical about placing hands on them, but that's how they did it in the Bible. And so we are obedient and we'll do that without hesitation because I believe there's power in prayer. On the other hand, I would like to tell this individual, you don't need a preacher to have a connection through the Holy Spirit. You don't need a church. Now, the Bible tells us to come together and pray for one another, and there is power in prayer, and I believe that. But, but the heart of the matter is the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer in Christ, is alive and powerful in you just as much as it is in me. I'm so thankful you don't need a preacher. To come to God. Again, in the Old Testament, if they had a need of God, they wanted to inquire from God about what to do or where to go. They had to go to a prophet. They couldn't just start praying. That's not how it worked. How it worked was God spoke through his prophets. And so if you wanted a word from God, you went to the prophet and said, prophet, I need a word from God. Will you intercede for me? And the prophet would do that through the blood of Christ. And because of the oncoming of the Holy Spirit, you don't need a preacher for that. Now, you need a preacher, but you don't need a preacher for that. <laughs> It'd be awkward in here if there was no preacher. But you don't need a preacher to go to God because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you if you're a believer in Christ. He's with you permanently. The other thing I wanted to say to this individual, if they're listening is, uh, and, it, and by the way, it may well be, so they're not part of any church, and that's why they're asking, is there any spirit-filled church in town? Just a word of caution, because I don't know their surrounding and their, their situation, and so I'm not going to judge because I simply don't know. But just in general, God is not a genie. He, he's not somebody you just put in a, a, a vase and you stick it on or a lamp, and you stick it on a shelf, and you you got God on your shelf, and then when you have a tragedy in your life or a need in your life, you take him down, rub the lamp, and say, God, hey, I've got this request. And then when you're done, you put him back on the shelf. That's not what churches are for, and that's not what God is for. If you think God's going to be your genie, you, you better get used to disappointment. He's not going to perform for you. That is, the, the miraculous that God does in our lives is a part of an ongoing relationship that he has with us. This individual, however, may not be a part of a church if they're new in town. And the pandemic has created this backlog because people have moved to Azel in recent years. And because of the pandemic, they don't feel safe visiting, a, number, another, or, or visiting a church. And honestly, just coming in to visit a church can be intimidating. But you add the pandemic on top of that. Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? What am I supposed to do? And people are, are concerned about that and so they have not been coming in for, for those of you who are watching right now I want all of you to know there is a place for you here at First Baptist Church whether it's that individual or any other individual and secondly they are next they said spirit filled church well I find that humorous obviously 
When somebody says spirit-filled, what they generally mean is they're looking for a charismatic church, not a Baptist church, because we're not spirit-filled. <laughs> now, I have dear friends. Uh, Brother Tim, pastor down at First Assembly, for example, a dear friend of mine. I've got dear friends that are Assembly of God. Uh, Brother Jim, right down the street uh, at, this, at Victory Christian Center, he's a dear friend of mine. I have tremendous respect for them, and they have always had tremendous respect for me. Um, and so, and I think that we should keep it that way. But I want you to know that there's no, they don't have any kind of copyright on the Holy Spirit, <laughs> that the Holy Spirit doesn't work that way. Uh, the Holy Spirit is alive and, and well here at First Baptist Church. Amen. So just, just a word about that. Um. So here's the question. For our passage for today, it speaks of grieving the Holy Spirit. That's who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. But it does beg that question, what causes the Holy Spirit grief? What causes the Holy Spirit grief? What causes him to grieve? And this is where we're going to find the answer. It's in the rest of this passage. In fact, this verse is tucked away right in the middle of a conversation that Paul is having where he deals with what causes the Holy Spirit to grieve both before and after. So we're going to look at the passage. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. We'll start in verse 29. Ephesians 4, 29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now here's what he's talking about when he says grieving the Holy Spirit. We know it has something to do with what happened before and after. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. That's what he says. He sounds like my mom, <laughs> Paul, because that sounds just like something my mom would say, or maybe your mom. I don't want to hear that coming out of your mouth. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying here. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Don't, don't say it. This word unwholesome, by the way, what kind of talk? This word in the Greek means, unwholesome means corrupt, rotten, or putrid. It was refer, used to refer to rotten fruit. Now, my dear sweet wife is Filipino, and she comes from the Philippines. That's a, a series of islands on the other side of the planet, and it's a tropical environment. So when we go to the Philippines, it's extraordinary concerning fruit. You, wherever where we go, there are open markets where you just see an endless sea of fruit stands. Of fruit you've never seen before or heard of. You didn't even know it existed. All kinds of fruit. Sweet and bitter and big and little. There's one fruit that stinks so bad they won't let it on the plains. It's awful. It smells like a dead body. They love it. Here we have bananas. You know, we have one kind of bananas, which is dole banana. That's not a kind of banana, by the way. There they have all different varieties of 
bananas. I mean, just all kinds of bananas, oh, sweeter than any bananas that we have here. My favorite, of course, is mango, the, uh, the fruit mango. You've never had mango until you go to the Philippines. Oh, it's so good. I can taste it now. Um, but here's the thing. Cherry moved here, and she's a mom. And so she's always buying fruit for the kids and me, hoping that we will develop a taste for fruit. Um, and so she buys fruit, and she puts it on the kitchen counter, and it just sits there and rots. Because <laughs> me and the kids, we love chocolate and <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> fruit can't compete with Bluebell. Now, we know it's rotten because these, uh, we don't even pay attention to it. It's not even there, you know. But we, we, we realize it's rotten when those little flies start flying around, those little gnats. And then when we start looking for the fruit. Uh, um, uh, where was I? What was I talking about? And so this word unwholesome has to do with rotten fruit. And so he says, don't, don't let anything out of, come out of your mouth that's rotten. Are you like that? You, did you say something rotten this week? And it doesn't have to be a curse word, although that would certainly be part of it. But did you know that when you and I say things that are rotten in God's ears, that it grieves the Holy Spirit? It grieves him. And then he goes on to say in this passage, uh, uh, the, b below verse 30, in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. All of this has to do with anger uh, or, or those emotions that surround anger. And people are so angry. Well, it happened again this week. I was driving in the Mid-Cities area. I was being good, I promise, just minding my own business in my own lane. It was bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, and I don't know what happened, but I got flipped off. I mean, he just let me have it. You know what I wanted to do when he flipped me off? Not, not, I didn't want to flip him off back. I'm not four. <laughs> but what I did think in my super-righteous heart was, I hope he has a wreck. Or God's going to get him. Well, that's malice. And that's in the passage as well. I didn't say anything bad. I didn't do anything bad. But I sure thought bad things for him. And so Paul is dealing with this here. And it's out of the heart the mouth speaketh. And there's my King James right there. And uh, that, is, that is what we do. Are you angry? I saw an article this week online, and the title of the article is, It's Not Just You. People Really Are Angrier These Days. It says this, Surveys over the past few years indicate that anger had risen in the country even before this 2020 health, economic, and racial crisis that washed the nation with fear and uncertainty. A Gallup poll conducted in 2018, three years ago, before the pandemic, concluded that more Americans were stressed, worried and angered compared to the previous year. About 22% of Americans had felt anger in the, previous in the previous day, up from 17% a year earlier. Matt Tiffany, a Lewiston-based mental health therapist, said that many more of his clients than usual have been struggling with anger issues over the past few months. 
It's alarming for people to be feeling so on edge for long periods of time, he said. Another article says it this way. Do you find yourself getting ticked off more often than you used to? If the answer is yes, you're not alone. Some 84% of Americans surveyed said Americans are angrier today compared with a generation ago, according to the latest poll. When asked about their own feelings, 42% of those polled said they were angrier in the last year than they had been further back in time. People are becoming increasingly angry. But this passage is about more than anger. It's about bitterness, slander, and malice. Bitterness is how we respond to wrongdoing against us when we refuse to forgive. Bitterness cannot coexist with joy and it can destroy your life. Slander and malice are the children of bitterness. Instead of forgiving someone, we say bad things about them. Paul refers to this as unwholesome talk. It is rotten speech. And we also wish bad things to happen to them. We harbor malice. These are toxic character traits for anyone, but especially for God's people. And yes, you, listen to this, you can control them. Don't play victim with God. He designed you. He knows better. So what does Paul say? Read 50 books on the subject. What does he say? He says, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Get rid of all that stuff. He just tells us point blank to get rid of it. And this, I looked up the, the Greek term to get rid of. It means to make a clean sweep. I think in the last uh, or recent weeks, uh, Chris, our associate pastor, shared with you, he was talking about spiritual cleanliness in your life. And I was reminded of something I had shared uh, years ago with you that when it comes to cleaning your house, there are three levels of cleanliness. One is what I call the parents' cleaning Secondly, the spring cleaning, and third is the move out cleaning. The parents' cleaning is when parents, you go into your child's room and you say, clean up this room, it's a mess. And so they quickly cram everything into the closets and under the bed. Now the room is not cleaned at all. Nothing's really put up and nothing's really clean at all. It's still dirty, but it looks less bad than it used to. And then the child says, and this is hypothetical. My children certainly have never said this, but then they say, all clean. <laughs> uh, that's, that's parent cleanliness. Then there's spring cleaning, where you actually do go under the bed. Or, by the way, I say kids, parents, how your closet's looking. You know, <laughs> what's under your bed. And so the spring cleaning is you actually pull the bed out and you clean the junk that's under your bed and find a place for it. You clean out the closet. It's a clean, you know, you... you you mop and you sweep and you clean things. That's spring cleaning. And then there's move out cleaning. I don't care how many times it's spring clean. When you go to move and you have to remove every single thing from the house, it is stunning how gross that house is. You get the furniture out of there and you just start moving out box after box and you just fill out bag after bag of trash, things that have been there for years. And the longer you live there, the worse it is. I, sometimes some of you just need to move just so you can clean the house. 
And then once you get it all out, you actually get it all out and you get that house spick and span. Then you look at it and go, wow, I don't want to move. Got a, got a new house. Well, this is what he's talking about here. He's not talking about parent clean or spring cleaning. He's talking about move out clean. He says, get rid of it. You say, well, that's just the way I am, pastor. I just cuss. Well, no, that's not just the way you are. That's the way that you choose to be. Well, I just get angry. Well, so do I. Welcome to the angry club. Paul doesn't say boo-hoo to you. You have a lot of bad injustice in your life. You have a right to be bitter and angry. He doesn't say that. He says, own it, deal with it, get rid of it. And you can do that. You can't, but as a believer in Christ with the spirit of the living God in you, you can. And that's why Paul doesn't give you 10 points on how to get rid of it. He just says, get rid of it as a believer in Christ. So what do we do? Now, I love this part of it. If we go back to our passage, in the last verse, verse 32, he tells us what to do instead. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So instead of doing this, I want you to do that. Be compassionate, kind, forgiving, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Dr. John Trent uh, says this, a blessing comes in speaking to our family members and children particularly uh, becomes so only uh, becomes a blessing only when it is spoken. Spoken words of praise and appreciation gives the child an indication that he or she is worthwhile and valuable. It is not enough to provide a roof over our children's head or to provide them with food and the material necess necessities of life. He says, without spoken words of blessing, they are left unsecure of their own personal worth and acceptance. We are to speak blessing to our children. So how can we do that? Well, I told you, how can we, how can we stop being so angry and have so much malice? First of all, there are some people you need to forgive. Not for their sake, because, but for your sake, because it's eating you up. And next, I, I just can't say this in the Lord enough, spiritually speaking, you need to relax. We need to relax. In our fast-paced, hectic society, we're terrible about relaxing spiritually. We are wound up so tight so much of the time, we're always about to pop. That guy on the, on the highway that flipped me off, I promise you, he was mad before I ever came along. And he was mad after I came along and he's probably mad right now because we're all wound up so tight. It just takes one or two wrong words and boom, off we go. We need to relax, calm down, stand firm. Now, I'm not telling you not to live your convictions in Christ. Be passionate about that, but relax. God is in control of all things. He'll judge, he'll rescue He'll intervene, so relax. Secondly, or next, focus on problem solving. Anger often comes about because things didn't go as planned, and they often don't. Or you feel helpless, or you feel trapped in your life, or you feel attacked, or you feel a need to defend yourself. God understands that. Don't just focus on that, though. Think about ways that you can get unstuck. Ways you can move forward, you can move on. 
or you can rise above. And then focus on fruit, not the rotten fruit <laughs> that I told you about a while ago, but the fruit of the Spirit. You, you have to know I'm going to mention this to you. Galatians 5.22 tells us exactly what we should be doing instead. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we should be bearing through the Spirit of the living God. So as Paul says in our passage, be kind and compassionate to one another. Famous American writer, William Arthur Ward once said this. He said, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. But encourage me and I will not forget you. Your compassionate words are powerful. Edward Steichen, who eventually became one of the world's most renowned photographers, almost gave up on the very day he shot his very first pictures. He was 16 years old. And this is back in the olden days, by the way, when you put film in a camera. Remember that? And then a shutter opened up and closed real quick on the film. And then you advanced it to the next one. And you had no idea what you got until you... So you got them back from the developer. How many times, older folks, my age and more, how many times did you take a roll in anticipation, put it in that little packet at Gibson's or wherever, and, and send it off and you get it back in anticipation of those beautiful, beautiful photographs, and you get it and it's just blank, 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 blank. Everything's just dark. And, you know, just a few fuzzy images, that sort of thing. That's how we used to have to do it. Now, you know, you get this big, beautiful screen. You know what you got. And it's a perfect picture. And then you take 10 more just to be sure. Well, he, he took 50 photos as a 16-year-old boy. This is one of the world's most famous photographers who would become that. He took 50 pictures. Only one picture came out. It was a picture of his, a portrait of his sister at the piano. And his father uh, focused on the 49 failures. He thought that was a pretty poor return. But his mother really loved that picture, that one picture. And what she said to her son was, that one picture was so beautiful, it more than made up for the other 49. And as a result, he decided not to quit. He was going to quit. Never take any more pictures. And he decided not to do that. And he stayed with that all his life and produce beautiful art. The ability to spot excellence in her son, but also the willingness to speak wholesome talk to him changed his life. During quail season in Georgia, an Atlanta journalist met an old farmer who went out to hunt one day, quail hunting. And so he went with, he was invited to go with the farmer, and so the farmer went out hunting, and he had his his bird dog with him, and his bird dog was old. I mean, just really old. And the problem was the bird dog couldn't smell the birds anymore, couldn't smell. And so the bird dog would come along. He's, again, just very old, and he would stop and freeze and make that poise that pointers make, only there were no birds there. So the dog then, this old dog, would rush the, the place where he thought the birds were, and that old farmer would just take his shotgun, crank it up, and pow, pow, fire off a couple of shots into the air. 
And then we'll go a little further, the dogwood point, pretend to rush birds, and the farmer will go pow, pow again into the air, no birds around. And so the journalist says, well, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you shooting at? Maybe he thought they were really small birds or invisible birds or something he didn't know about. And the farmer said, you know, there are no birds there, but my dog and I have been through so much in our life. I love my dog, and he's trying, so I just want to encourage him. You know, that's what wholesome talk does. But unwholesome talk, anger, slander, malice, bitterness, does this play a role in your life? They make your life and your relationships toxic. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, God can deep clean your life and your tongue. Get rid of it. Let the Spirit fill you today with his joy, his compassion, and his peace as we speak wholesome words this week. Pray with me. Father, we come to you and we acknowledge we're all guilty. Oh, we're guilty. We say words we shouldn't say. We have bitterness in our heart. We have malice in our heart for other people. And while from a secular point of view, we could say they deserve it, and they probably do, Paul doesn't mention that here. Paul isn't referring to them. There will always be people that we can be bitter at or toward or have malice toward. There are always people who wrong us or anger us. But here in this passage, you make it very clear that the spirit of the living God is alive in us. If we've surrendered to Christ, he is here. We are his temple. And therefore, our thoughts and our words should be wholesome, filled with love and compassion and kindness and joy. Help us as we go out this week to transform those around us through our words that we speak and act in a way that draws people toward their Savior. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you right now? Will you be willing to, in a moment of honesty, come to your God and say, God, I'm struggling with this. Maybe you struggle with anger. Maybe you're bitter about somebody or something that happened years ago. You felt hurt or betrayed. And maybe what they did was awful, but you've been harboring bitterness and malice in your heart. Paul says, get rid of it. Will you let the Holy Spirit deep clean your heart today? Get rid of it. Don't carry it around anymore. Don't think about it. Don't speak about it. Don't harbor it. Get rid of it in the name of Jesus. Could be God is calling you to make a personal decision in your life. You don't have the Holy Spirit in your heart because you have not received Christ as your Savior. You haven't surrendered to Him. And you know you need to do that. But I promise you this, if you'll surrender your life to Christ today, if you'll confess him as your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And at the moment of salvation, today, this morning, right now, at the moment of your salvation, the Holy Spirit of God will infill you. 
Will you be willing to do that? Come down and say, Pastor, I give my life to Jesus. I surrender to him. I want to be a Christian. Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church and to serve him faithfully here. Or you just want to come and get on your knees and pray. The, the altar is open. If God is leading right now, this invitation is for you. Would you stand? No one's looking around. As you continue to pray and as you stand, right now, you come.